Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Matthew emphasizes that this gift to exercise demons was given to these 12, along with another uh, couple of select people that are named later. Now, here's the real question. Has God extended that gift to people in the church today? And if so, why don't we perform more exorcisms in the church today? Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan's been working overtime to bring down believers, using tactics like fear and doubt and temptation. But can Satan's influence really take such a serious hold that exorcism is the only remedy? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress considers whether exorcism is still a valid and necessary spiritual gift. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to the Friday edition of Pathway to Victory. Well, this coming Monday will be the final day in the Divine Defense series, which means it's almost your last opportunity to get in touch with Pathway to Victory and request a copy of my book on this important topic. It's called The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. My book comes with my thanks for your generous gift to Pathway to Victory. Let me add a quick word about the importance of your generosity with Pathway to Victory. We are living in dark and ominous times. Just about the time we think we're gaining ground on the enemy, such as our recent reprieve from the Supreme Court, something happens to set us back. Friends, our enemy, the devil, is definitely on the prowl. Gratefully, you and I know how the story ends. In the end, God wins, and we need not walk in fear. Well, when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, you're allowing us to teach men and women all across our country and around the world how to walk in the light of God's truth rather than in darkness. We'll give our contact information at the close of today's message, so be ready to jot that down. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Today, we're talking about exercising power without exercising demons. Here's the question for today. Are there some extreme cases of demonic influence that people experience that calls for extreme practices like exorcism? Are there some people who are so far gone, who are so much in Satan's grip that you have to employ these special practices like exorcism to free them from satanic control? Are there people today who have the gift of exorcism? And if the gift really is still legitimate for today, why don't we do it more in the church? Could it be that one reason we have so little success in spiritual warfare is that we have failed to utilize this practice of exorcism? After all, it's in the Bible. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. Look at it with me. And he, Jesus, came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. And in the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." 
Demons, contrary to what liberal theologians say, demons are more than crude first century attempts to explain mental illness or the existence of evil. That's what some liberal theologians say. They say, well, back then they didn't have a way to explain schizophrenia or psychosis or other mental disorders, and so they they called it demonic control. But if that's true, if demons are not real beings, then Jesus needs to be committed to a mental institution because he was carrying on a conversation with these beings that some people deny exist. The fact is, demons are real created beings. As we've seen in past months, they are angels that chose to follow Satan in his rebellion against God. Look at verse 35. But Jesus rebuked the demon, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown the man down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. In other words, this demon made a choice. He chose to submit himself to the authority of Jesus Christ. Do you find that fascinating? That here is an unclean demon who recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God and that he must submit himself to the authority of the Son of God. Even the demons recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. But what I want you to notice in this verse, verse 35, is the way, the method that Jesus employed in order to rid this man of demonic influence. Will you notice in verse 35, there is no record of Jesus forming a prayer circle around this demon-controlled man and for hours and hours ranting and raving and claiming that Jesus is the Lord God. You find no record in here that Jesus used garlic, incense, or Latin incantations in order to remove the demons. What a contrast to how Jesus removed the demons. And all that nonsense you see in many churches today or on Christian television. Have you seen that stuff? Hours and hours and all these theatrics and hysterics and so forth about removing demons. You don't find any of that here. Jesus simply said, be quiet to the demon. He said, be quiet, put a lid on it and come out. One simple command. Now, that is a true exorcism, not all of this ridiculous nonsense that some Christians have adopted. Jesus clearly had the power to remove demons. Secondly, will you notice that he very clearly delegated that power to his 12 apostles? Turn over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, where Jesus gave his apostles, the 12 apostles, this authority. Matthew 10, verse 1. And Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And he also gave the authority to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Why did Jesus give the apostles the ability to heal these kinds of diseases and to practice exorcism? These gifts, as Mark 16 says, were sign gifts. They were gifts given to the apostles to authenticate that they were truly messengers from God. Remember, there was no New Testament to read in those days. The way that people knew Jesus was truly the Son of God was by the signs he was able to perform. And in the same way, the way people knew these apostles were telling the truth about Jesus was their ability to perform signs and wonders. Today, the way we measure whether Robert Jeffress or anybody else is telling the truth about God is not by my ability to perform miraculous signs. It's simply by comparing my words to the words of God's inspired word. 
But back then, there was no New Testament by which to measure a person's words. And so, his authenticity was proved by his ability to perform signs. Now, Matthew emphasizes that this gift to heal and the gift to exercise demons was given to these 12, along with another uh, couple of select people that are named later. Now, here's the real question. Has God extended that gift to people in the church today? Do we have the same power to heal people from illness? Do we have the same power to exercise demons that these 12 have? And if so, why don't we perform more exorcisms in the church today? I want to suggest to you in the few moments that we have remaining this morning, three reasons that I'm convinced that exorcism is neither a relevant nor even a helpful practice in the church today to remove someone from satanic control. Three reasons why exorcism is neither relevant nor effective in the church today. Reason number one is this, the specificity of the gift. The specificity of the gift. Clearly, Jesus had the power to exorcise demons. He also delegated that authority to a certain group of people. Now, look back at Matthew 10, verses 2 through 4. Look at those list of names. Do you find the name of any prominent pastor in that list? Anybody you see on television on a regular basis? Do you see their name in there? Do you see your name? Do you see the name of any priest in there? Why do we assume that a gift that was specifically given to named individuals, why do we automatically assume those gifts have been given to us as well? Why is it that we assume that all of this book is written specifically to us in every situation? I'm going to say something that's going to shake some of you up, but I want you to listen to me carefully. This book is God's inspired word. However, Although all of the Bible is written for us, not all of the Bible is written to us. All of the Bible is written for us. Not all of the Bible is written to us. For example, God has not commanded you to go out and build an ark like he did Noah. Has he? God tell you to go out and build an ark? God hasn't told you to offer your son as a burnt sacrifice like he did Abraham. God has not told you to go march around the walls of Jericho and blow a trumpet until the walls don't come crumbling down like he did Joshua. All of the Bible is written for us. God includes these commands that he gave us specific people at specific times to teach us important lessons about himself. We can learn from the way that he dealt with them, but not all of the Bible is specifically written to us. One reason so many people get confused in reading the Bible is they don't bother to read it in context. We've got to read the Bible and give it the same courtesy we would any book, and that is to read it in context, to study it carefully. It's the same thing here with this whole idea of exorcism and uh, healing and so forth. We've got to read the Bible in context. There is nothing in Scripture that indicates you and I have been given the gift of exorcism, the gift of healing. Now, I want to be real careful here. I do believe in healing. I believe that God heals people. I believe God can choose to answer a prayer to heal people. As if God wants to heal somebody, he doesn't need a middleman to do it, okay? He's powerful enough, he can choose to do it on his own. 
I believe that is his operation today. There is no passage that indicates every Christian has been given the gift of healing or the gift of exorcism or the other sign gifts. No passage except one. Now, this is really going to stir it up. So turn over to Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Mark 16, verses 17 to 18. These are the words that Jesus spoke, closing of the book of Mark, the earliest of the Gospels. And Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, notice to whom this is addressed. These are the signs that will accompany not a special class of people, but everyone who believes, those who have believed the name of Jesus. That is, it seems to be directed to you and to me. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, Jesus is indicating that everyone who believes will have the ability to perform exorcisms. They will have the ability to speak in new tongues. They will have the ability to uh, drink snake venom. They will have the ability to heal anybody and everybody. Now, in your Bible, if you have a study Bible, probably verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16 of this chapter have a bracket around them, or there is a footnote there. And if you read the footnote, you'll find that the footnote says these verses, verses 9 through 20, do not appear in the oldest manuscripts. That means their existence, their authenticity is doubtful. There's only one other place in the Bible like that in John 8 about Jesus riding in the sand after the woman caught in adultery. These are the two passages in the New Testament that don't appear in the earliest manuscripts. We know about them. There aren't any more than those, but there are those. And because of that, their, their authenticity is doubtful. What I'm saying to you is, Outside of this passage, which is highly doubtful that it belongs in the New Testament anyway, there is no place in the Bible that indicates you and I have received the gift of exorcism. Secondly, a reason I don't believe the gift is relevant or even effective today is its infrequent mention in the Bible. It's infrequent mention in the Bible. If this is such an integral tool for us to be using in spiritual warfare, why is it the Apostle Paul never mentions it? In Ephesians chapter 6, here he is talking about spiritual warfare, the six pieces of armor. Why didn't he give us a seventh piece? Exorcism, if it's important, but he never mentions it. Why is it that when he wrote Timothy or any of the pastoral epistles, there's not one mention of exorcism if it's an important practice for the church today? Why is it that Peter and John never mention it in the letters they write? Why is it that when spiritual gifts are talked about in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, not one mention of all of the gifts of the gifts of exorcism? It's because it was a gift limited for a specific time for a specific group of people. And then thirdly, perhaps more importantly, the reason I don't believe this is a relevant or effective gift today is because of the limitations of the gift of exorcism the limitation of the gift of exorcism. You know, let's face it. We all are looking for quick fixes to complex problems, aren't we? There are no quick fixes to complex problems. But we want them anyway. I mean, just imagine that you have a mate who is suffering from severe depression 
or maybe a child involved in a a life-threatening addiction. And you've tried counseling, and you've tried medication, and nothing seems to work. And somebody comes up to you and says, you know, have you ever considered that the real problem may be demonic? And that what this person really needs is to be freed from demonic control. And desperate, you say, well, maybe that is the answer. And so you engage in this ritual of exorcism, thinking that if that demon of addiction or that demon of pornography or that demon of uh, lack of self-control or uh, whatever the demon is, if that demon can be removed, surely my loved one will be free forever. But here's the downside of exorcism, even in the Bible, for those who have the gift. It doesn't last. See, Jesus taught very clearly that even if you do remove a demon from a person, it's not forever removed. Turn over to Luke chapter 11 where Jesus taught this, verses 24 through 26. Luke 11, verses 24 to 26. Fascinating passage. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, that's referring to a demon, It passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when the demon returns, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they will go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. (laughs) What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Here is a man who is either demon-owned or demon-controlled. We don't know which. Remember, there's a difference between being demon-possessed and demon-controlled. A Christian cannot be possessed or owned by demons or Satan. If you're a believer today, you are owned by God. And the mark of God's ownership of your life is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is God's stamp of ownership on your life. So you can't be owned by God and by Satan. Only unbelievers can be owned, possessed by Satan and his demons. However, Christians can be controlled and heavily influenced by demons. Any area of your life that is not under the lordship, the control of Jesus Christ is open to being influenced heavily by demons. And we don't know if this man was a man who was demon-owned or demon-controlled. But notice what happens. The unclean spirit, Jesus says, leaves him for a while, maybe through an exorcism. The unclean demon leaves for a while, but then it comes back to this man's life. And notice how he finds the man's life. He comes back and finds it swept and put in order. Now, that sounds like a good thing to us, doesn't it? I mean, we all want houses and lives that are swept and put in order. This isn't a good thing here. What it means is the demon comes back and finds that this man's life is unoccupied. It's open. There's nobody at home. And remember, just as nature abhors a vacuum, so does Satan in the spirit world. When they come to a life in which Jesus Christ is not residing and in control, they are free to take possession. 
And so this demon comes back to this person who's experienced this freedom from demons and sees that the Lord is not in control. There's nobody at home. There's nobody in the house. So not only does this demon feel the freedom to return, he brings seven of his friends along with him. The point is this. There is no once-for-all ritual that will forever free your life from demonic control. Many of you may remember the name of Dr. M. Scott Peck. Uh, He died a couple of years ago. He wrote the best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled. Many people don't know that Dr. Peck was also a Christian. He was a medical doctor, and he wrote a book one time on this whole subject of demon possession uh, from the perspective of a medical doctor. The book was entitled Glimpses of the Devil. And while I don't agree with everything in Dr. Peck's book, one point he made is dead-on accurate. And he said, the single most important factor in determining demonic control of an individual is that individual's choices that he or she makes. He gives a case study of a woman, an adult woman, who was heavily being influenced by Satan and demons. And when they did the case history of her life, they traced back her involvement in demonic uh, elements way back to when she was a little girl, 12 years old, and had become involved in a book on the occult. It's our choices that we make that open up our life to demonic influence. And Dr. Peck also says it's our choices that we make that free us from demonic control as well. In fact, he says in the book, the most important exorcist is the patient himself or herself. It's the choices we make that determine whether our life is demon-free. Perhaps that explains why after the book of Acts, there are no more exorcisms in the Bible. See, in the book of Acts, exorcisms were not once for all actions. They were sign gifts given to authenticate the message of the disciples. But now that that has been accomplished, Now the responsibility for living a demon-free life, that responsibility has shifted from specially empowered agents of God, like the apostles or the Lord himself, that responsibility has shifted to us individually. And what I'm saying is you and I are individually responsible for making sure that no area of our life is open to Satan's control. If there is a bottom line thought I want to leave you with today, it's this. You don't need any sensationalistic rituals to live free in Christ, to be free from Satan's control of your life. God has given you everything you need to allow you to experience the kind of life Christ wants you to experience. I'm so glad you joined us for another day of teaching from our series, The Divine Defense. And on this final Friday in August, I'm urging you to get in contact with Pathway to Victory in order to request the book I've written for you. This eye-opening book called The Divine Defense exposes Satan's blueprint for your destruction. Using the powerful armor of Ephesians 6, the Divine Defense will help you recognize and apply six practical strategies that you can use every day to defeat Satan's destructive plan. A copy of my book, The Divine Defense, is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Without a doubt, God is growing our ministry together in an unprecedented way at a crucial moment in our world's history. When you give generously, you're touching lives with the transforming hope that comes from God's Word. Like this friend who wrote to me and said, 
Pastor Jeffress, because I'm not able to get out to church right now, I've been leaning on Pathway to Victory for biblical knowledge. And because I've been blessed and am learning so much, I feel empowered to pass this encouragement along to others in my life. Make no mistake about it, your partnership has a compounding, multiplying impact as others embrace the teaching from God's Word and in turn touch even more lives. So thank you for giving generously. Keep up the good work. Together we are piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, We'll say thanks by sending you the companion book to this month's series called The Divine Defense. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or simply give online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete Divine Defense CD and DVD teaching set. But this special package of resources is only available till Monday, so be sure to get in touch right away. To request the Divine Defense on CD and DVD, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You're always welcome to get in touch by mail. Here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, wishing you a great weekend and inviting you to join us again Monday when Dr. Jeffress presents a message called Using Your Divine Defense. That's right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel and sign up before September 30th to receive an early bird discount. To learn more, go to ptv.org.